This is the Endurance Church Podcast with Pastor Anthony Bass. At Endurance Church, our goal is to live well and finish strong by becoming faithful disciples of Christ. We do this through loving, disciplined, Bible-based teaching, encouragement, and care. For more information about our ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. wrestled with when I was in um, grad school, it was the love of God. And I remember I was in Greek class, and that was a big kind of demarcation in in our university, uh, Greek, because um, when you go to seminary, your hope is to, to get an MDiv, uh, and, and how you were eliminated from MDiv is that you couldn't pass the, the biblical language of Greek and Hebrew. So if you couldn't get past Greek and Hebrew, you were, you were done. And uh, the Greek, uh, the Hebrew teacher was uh, Dr. Randall Pinnell. He ended up becoming a president of a, a college in the, in the South, but the um, the Greek teacher was a man named Lao Story. He has a book on Amazon called Greek, It's Greek to Me. And it's, if you ever want to learn Greek, he has this great uh, Greek program that you could use and really helps you learn Greek. But I love how he would break down scripture. And I didn't like his class at all. I, I, matter of fact, uh, we, we kind of went at it because he had a different theology than me. Uh, he, was a, he was an open theist, right? He believed God didn't know the future. I didn't see that in the scriptures. But for him, it was a way for him processing how uh, when bad things happen, yet God's still being a loving God. And I think that makes God smaller than what he really is. Like, our God, I believe, is big enough to be a loving and kind God, yet still know the future. And when bad things happen, we don't have to recoil or be afraid to acknowledge that God knew that was going to happen, but he thought, even though that bad thing was going to happen, that we'd be strong enough to, to persevere, to make it through. He would use that for his greater glory. And, um, and today, there's this concept we're going to talk about. I showed it in the video, and, and that's why I put those words in. I'm going to start adding, like, text to the videos to make a bigger, a better bridge. Because sometimes I play the video, and we just jump into sermon. There's no real bridge. But the question is, like, why does God love you? And, uh, and the answer is, he loves you because he loves you. And, and that's, that's something hard for us to really process and rationalize. Like, God loves us simply because he chose to love us. And we're going to see this principle in Scripture with Israel. And we're going to see this context, to me, is probably one of the most, I say, um, interesting concepts in the Bible, of why God loves you. Um, when you're married, you know, you do things to, to maintain, to, to nurture their relationship. 
But love, you realize after a while, is still a choice. You love your spouse in the ups, and you love them in the downs. Same way with other relationships you have in your life. As a Christian, we're called to love one another because when we love one another, what? The world knows that we're Jesus' disciples. But isn't it hard sometimes to love those people who God's called us to love? And when you say, man, I don't feel like loving them because they're not treating me well, they're not being respectful, they're not being kind, they're not, they're not saying how. Well, all these things you can say, the truth is love, according to the Bible, is a, is a choice. You choose to set your love upon somebody. And because of that, you are there to help serve them. Now, when we look at the Israelite nation, there was this concept they could never get. That God loved them and he requires from them their love back. But love in the Bible looks different than how we think about love. It's not eros, it's not storge, it's not phileo, it's, it's agape, it's a sacrificial love. And when we are asked to love God, we first have to listen to him, and then we have to obey him. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what? You'll obey my commandments. That's the exact same thing God was saying in the Old Testament. A lot of times we try to say, oh, the Old Testament, if we could just get rid of that Old Testament, it'd be okay. But the truth is, the Old Testament is really no different than the New Testament. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that was communicated in the Old Testament. And so today when we jump in, we're going to look at something that was happening in the, in the wilderness wandering. This is 39 years after they've exited Egypt. And remember, when they first exited Egypt, they had this experience. They, they exited Egypt, and, and they went through the, the Red Sea. And God delivered them through the Red Sea. It was this miraculous experience. If you ever want to see a good historical study on that, look up the video, Exodus Revealed. It actually has like the chariots today underneath the, the Red Sea. I, it's awesome. So help build up my faith. But after, after they left that, the, the, the Red Sea, they, they go to Mount Sinai where they get the what? Commandments. And now 39 years later, the, every male over the age of 20 has died off. Because remember the incident with Joshua, Caleb, and the, and the other Israelites, and they, they went into the promised land. They said, no, they are giants there. They're too big. They doubted that God could help them possess the land. And as a result, they, these other men went back, and they basically started almost in a, in a riot. They incited people to rebel and God said, because of your actions, you'll never make it into the promised land. And none of those men made it. So 39 years later, now Moses has six days left to live. Moses got in trouble too, right? Because God told him to do what? And what did he do? So Moses is done. Moses knows he's about to die in six days. And so this is like a father talking to his son. The father's about to pass away, and he's trying to say, look, I made mistakes. I messed up, but I, this is what you have to know. And no, even though uh, Deuteronomy is second law, that, that's what is called the Greek uh, interpretation of the word Deuteronomy is a second law, we know this is simply Moses giving the instructions once again to a new generation. This will be the generation that actually enters the promised land. And, and what was even more interesting is that just like their fathers did, they're doing something very similar. Remember, 
They didn't go through the, the, the Red Sea, but they go through the, the river what? Jordan. And God parts the Jordan. And they cross over the Jordan. Now, now they didn't go to Mount Sinai, but they went to Mount and Ebal and Gresser. And they, they go to these mountains, and that's where the blesses and curses were pronounced. So this is now their Sinai experience where they're, they're getting the law, just like their, their fathers did. And now here, Moses is trying to say, look, he made some amendments. <laughs> he made some uh, uh, corrections. He, he focused on some points, but he's trying to say, get this. And now here, there's some things he, he communicates that he didn't communicate earlier. Because remember what happened originally, as soon as he got the Ten Commandments, by the time he came back down, what were, the, what were, the, what were they doing? They were worshiping an idol. They, they had made up in their mind. They, now, they didn't think they were worshiping an idol. They thought they made an image of God. They made up an image in their own mind of God and was worshiping that, and they thought to honor God. But that was horrific in God's eyes. So now they have a chance. They're going to enter the promised land. And the promised land is full of enemies. They, isn't that interesting? This is something we have to get in our own minds. God said, you have the promised land, but you have to go and what? Possess it. And a lot of times I believe we believe that, oh, that's just something that was in the Old Testament. And we don't realize everything was written in the Old Testament for us. Don't you know we have the promise, but we have to possess it. Work out your own salvation with, with fear and trembling. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Like, we are possessing the promised land. We are in a fight. And we, we, the reason why there's division and hostility and angst in the church, in your own life, for those people who are walking out God's call in our life, is that you have an enemy that you're fighting against. And you can't see the enemy. There are spiritual forces that we are literally fighting against. And the only way we can win is staying in the light, obeying God, step by step, moment by moment. It's imperative that we understand God's voice for ourselves. That's why this church is focused to tell you, you need to hear and understand God for yourself. Because when you're in the, the dark hour by yourself, you have to be able to fight for yourself. You have to be able to win your fight. I remember we were playing against the Green Bay Packers. This is a long time ago. <laughs> and it was the first time playing in Green Bay, and, and Coach Green was talking about the Packers. He was telling, you know, you got your man. He was t talking to Randy. Get your man. Randall Cunningham, get your man. He was telling everybody, talking about who they're playing against. And he was like, and I got my man. I'm going to kick his. And everybody's like, oh. And everybody know what it said. Obviously, it's a church. So I'm not going to repeat that. But nevertheless, you can fill in the blank. He said, we have to win our own fight. And if you win your fight, your team wins. But if you lose your fight, that hinders your team from winning. And so here, the Jewish people are about to engage in war. And who's the general that's going to lead them? Joshua. And what's so interesting, the name Joshua is Yeshua, which is the exact same name as what? Jesus. But somehow in the Greek, we had issues. Now it's Jesus instead of Yeshua. So I still think it should be Joshua, but that's a different subject for another day. But Joshua, Yeshua, is leading the people in the promised land. And they're to engage in battle. 
But the problem is people sometimes doubt God. They, they, they struggle with, does God really care about me? Does God really love me? These are important questions when you're about to go to war. Like, what am I fighting for? How do I win? Like, is this worth a sacrifice? But if you understand in your heart of hearts that God loves you, it makes it a lot easier to win your fight. If you ever question if God loves you, you're at a disadvantage. God loves you. And this scripture here today, hopefully, will emphasize the fact that he does love you, if my clicker works. Was that me or you? That was me? Is that me? That's me. Yeah, so I feel empowered now. I'm good. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I got a um, quick quote. I don't like that one. It says, so many people don't know that God loves them. They feel, why would God love me? Why would he be interested in me? And that's a question we want to be able to address today. We work really hard, I think, in today's church to let you know that God loves you because he loves you. But today is just a reminder more than maybe a revelation. If you're struggling in your life, if you're wondering what's going on, why things are so rough, we want you to be confident that God loves you because he loves you. Not because you earned it, not because you were good enough, pretty enough, smart enough, because you were born on the right side of the fence and the right zip code, the right social status, like none of that matters. Even the right country, like none of that matters. God loves you simply because he loves you. So Deuteronomy, we had some background uh, conversation. Now we're going to jump into the text here. And this is Moses giving the last, his last series of sermons. And here he goes, when the Lord your God brings you into the land which you Go to possess. And listen to this. And has cast out many nations before you. And he goes and lists the nations. I'll mess up on one of them, but I'll do my best. The Hittites, here we go. The Gerashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites, the Jezebites. Seven nations. Now look at this part. This is what you always got to get. This is why looking at the scripture is so important. Look at the contrast here. He goes seven nations, and then he gives a qualifying word or a couple of different qualifying points. Seven nations, what? Greater and mightier than you. And so he's going to say in eventually why he decided to choose Israel. And he's going to tell them, you were, you were great and mighty. And you think if God is choosing the people to take over the world, he would pick the people who are what? Great and mighty. I would take the people who have the advantage tactically. Like somehow there's some skill sets they have that will make this easier for them. But God did not pick people who were the mightiest or the most tactful. He goes on to, it says, and when, you're, when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. And now there's a couple things that's funny there. When the Lord your God delivers them. Wait a minute. How are they going to win the fight? God's going to win the fight for them. And then they're going to beat them up. So, so, so God's going to knock them out, and they're going to come in and kick them. You know, have you seen that? Like when there's a fight, the guy gets knocked down, everybody runs, like, kick him, kick him, kick him, kick him. Like you're like, wait a minute, that's not really fight, but this is the fight we got. Like God is one. 
But now we're going to come and conquer them. Now, this is the part people run away from the Old Testament for. Because what it says next. It says, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. That's the part people are like, what? How could God be so cruel? Now, remember, God told them that it was right before they, uh, the, the patriarchs, before they went into Egypt, before uh, Jacob went into Egypt, he said, don't go to the promised land yet because the sin of the who? Amorites has not yet reached its limit. And so almost 450 years later, they have finally become so sinful that they have to be eradicated. Now you're like, that still doesn't sound good because they went in there killing kids and donkeys and dogs. They killed everything. And now what we don't understand, regardless of your theology, is what they were doing spiritually at the time and how that was impacting their community. Because if you look at the Old Testament more clearly, you'll see when, when God says don't do certain things, that's actually what the nations were doing. Don't have sexual intercourse with animals. Why do you have to say that, God? Of course I'm not going to do that. We don't do that today because we're in, a Jude- uh, we're in the remnants of a Judeo-Christian culture. But understand, during that day and time, they were having sexual intercourse with everything. 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 And, and they did this because that's a part of perversion. That's the way of the world as it runs from God. Now, there's also a thought that they were still implicit in the rebellion of the Nephilim. And because of this, they had to be wiped out because there were genetic traits that would hinder, in a sense, for them being saved. We'll get into that another day in a time. Some of you may be doing the study of the Nephilim right now, so you're a little bit deeper in that. But nevertheless, that's a conversation we'll have later on. But just take God's advice. Trust him. You want to completely eliminate these people. Because if you don't, there's a consequence. He goes on to say, you shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them. No covenant, no mercy. Nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons. So when you go into this land, you are not going to be tolerant. Oh, that's a term we don't like today. But it was for the survival of the Jewish nation. Because if this culture, this corrupted culture would have penetrated Israel, something would have happened. And he goes on to explain. Because if you don't do it, they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So if you, if you don't make this line of demarcation, if you don't separate yourself from the culture around you, they will influence you. Not if, they will. Not it might, it's going to happen. Like you will fall if you decide to fraternize with the culture. We are in a similar position today as a church. We're in a day where they, they as in the culture, is adamantly against Judeo-Christian values. And we don't see any change happening unless there's a great revival. We live in a culture that is adamantly trying to hinder people from the worship of the God of Christianity. And it's not just in America, it's across the planet. I always shoot out little Facebook messages and 
People realize Christians today are being persecuted more than ever before in human history. And I have to keep reposting that to say, people, look what's happening. Like, this is not a time of peace. Now, we live in America, and we're, we're fortunate that we're not going through what our brothers and sisters are going through in other parts of the planet. But who knows? It could come in a month, in a week, tomorrow. The question is, will you stand if it comes? You can't compromise. And that's what this is saying here. Because if you compromise, you will become just like the culture. Wait a minute. What about my friends and my family? It's not saying don't win them to Christ. That's obviously here. Because the Jewish witness was different than ours. We have the gospel. They did not. They were supposed to adhere to God's law. And because of their faithfulness to the law, God would bless them. And the nation would see they, they were blessed. And they would say, hey, I want to worship that God. But because they would not stay faithful, they kept getting judged. And the nation saw them and said, shoot, I don't want to be like them. (laughs) I'm going to stay with my God. They were no longer a good witness. And today we have a similar challenge. Is your life a great witness for God? It goes on again. It says, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So... The anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you. I was like, you destroy them or I'll destroy you. Somebody's getting destroyed. This is what he's saying. But thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars, break down their sacred pillars, cut down their wooden images, and burn their carved images with fire. He's like, you have to utterly eliminate these false worship practices. Because if you don't utterly eliminate these false worship practices, you will participate in those practices yourself. This is not a choice. God's not giving them options. There's no easy way out of this. They are at war, and they have to win completely. There's two movies that come to mind. I love these two movies. Sorry. <laughs> you know what? So I don't know if you ever seen the movie Shaka Zulu, and you may never will because it was totally inappropriate, right? Like, it's totally inappropriate. But when I was young and watching, my parents said it was appropriate, but they had, like, such bad, like, they, 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 had, they didn't give me the boundaries I needed. Mom and Dad, I'm sorry. I'm talking about you. So anyway, the point of Shaka, he would say, you have to com- kill your enemy completely, If you don't, they'll rise up again and fly at your neck. That was Shaka's thought. This was his philosophy. So if Shaka ever let any, if he ever let one enemy go, he thought that enemy was going to come back and eventually get him. And that was his fault. There's another movie. It's called Ender's Game. Anybody Ender's Game fans here? So Ender's Game was very similar. He was in a scenario where he felt like if his life was threatened, he had to win completely. Because if he let his enemy survive in the slightest, he knew that enemy would come back and defeat him. And that's why in the, end of the movie, he ended up destroying the entire planet because he thought if he didn't destroy the entire planet, these, these aliens would come back and kill the earth. Here, this is basically what God's saying. You have to destroy these nations completely because if you let one of them live, they'll come back and you will be corrupted and you'll be overthrown. We say, well, how's that loving? Because if the Jewish nation falls, there's no Messiah. If the Messiah doesn't come, we are all in our sins. This was, 
You know, they always say at the beginning of a small church, the beginning of a church plant, the, the beginning is the most fragile time, right? Because anything that happens there is magnified because of the smaller number of people. If something messes up here, like we're all done. If the Jewish people don't make it through this, like the whole world is lost. I mean, it was all riding on these people right now. And imagine, we don't know the spiritual battles that were taking place during this day and time. He says, but thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy all their worship. Eliminate their false worship practices. Don't study them. Don't figure them out. Get rid of them. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. That word holy means separated. Now understand, holiness in itself, in that context, doesn't mean righteous. Because remember, God used the Assyrians and the Babylonians. They were separated for judgment. Now he eventually judged them back. But these people, the Jewish nation, they were a holy people for a reason. They were holy because they were to reveal God's character to the planet Earth. But here it says, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself. That's new. He didn't choose them for judgment. He didn't choose them to overthrow a kingdom. He chose them for himself. Like there's something unique about this group of people. God wanted them to be for him. A special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. And there's people today that have problems with the Jewish people because of this, right? A special treasure. Like, why are they special? God said they're special. And if you have a problem with that, it's not a problem with them you really had. The problem is with the Lord. Like, God shows them, and, and, and they will always be God's special. Now, that doesn't mean you're not special, obviously, because once you're saved, it's a, it's a different uh, conversation. But these people always be special. You have to understand that Israel is God's time clock. If you look at what's going to Israel today, you'll see how far we have until, or how long we have until Jesus' return. Time is a ticket. And once you see, whether it be if you believe in the temple being rebuilt or Israel being attacked, one of those two things are going to happen, but then the Antichrist coming, like all that has to do with, with Israel. And that is the marker regarding how much time you have left. I tell my kids, I say, if you ever see the temple go up, it's time. If you ever see this man who makes a peace treaty in Israel, it's time. Israel's got special people because they are revealing God to the world. Here we go. This is the part we've been working hard for. And we'll start winding down. It says, the Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people. Because if you want to be a, a, a concrete nation, you need people. You want to take over the world, you need troops. These Jewish people are about to take over the world, particularly the promised land at first, but God didn't pick them because they had a lot of people. You're like, God, that doesn't make no sense. That didn't make sense, God. Why did you pick this small group of people? For you were the least of all people. That, it's, that makes less sense. God, you chose the smallest amount of people. Understand, he's telling you right here, these people group were the smallest people group at that time. And God still chose them to be his special people. Why, Lord? Here we go. This is why God chose the people. But because the Lord loves you. 
You're like, what? God chose those group of people simply because God loved them. God chose them because he, he loved them. Why did God love them? The scripture does not say. <laughs> and that's the great mystery. God loved them because he loved them. Now, I'm going to be a brutally honest man. When I first met my wife, first I was attracted to her looks. I'm just, I'm just being honest. I was like, "Woo, yes, Lord. That's what I need in my life, right? I'm like, God, you are so good to me. That's why I chose her. I mean, I'm being honest. She was, she was attractive. She was athletic. I was like, oh, yes, talk to me. And then she was a Christian. I'm like, oh, it's all better. And then she was going on mission trips. I'm like, oh, you know, be still my heart. Like all, all these great attributes. And I'm like, this is, this is it? But, but wait a minute. I don't see any of that there. I don't see the, the good, hot looks. I don't see the money. I don't see the power. I don't see companionship. I mean, they're needy. I mean, now on Facebook, you can't, they tell you not to marry somebody that's needy, right? They say you got to have your own. You got to come with it. But, but here, they got nothing to offer. But God chose to love them. Why? Because he made a decision to. If you are in the privileged position to be a recipient of God's love, understand that's God's grace. He chose to love you, not because you were super hot, fine, smart, not because you could win nations or be the next Billy Graham or T.D. Jakes or the next president. He loved you because he chose to love you. The Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king. And so now, as they're going to hear this entire second rendition of the law, Something new has been added. God loves them because they love them. Got a couple points we're done for the day. Point one, God loves you because he loves you. <laughs> has I said that enough? God loves you because he loves you, not because you earned it. So what's the good thing about it? When you make a mistake, you know what the good thing is? He didn't love you any less. He didn't love you because you're going to be perfect. He loves you because he loved you. Why didn't you know this? So you don't have to worry about earning his love. Man, wouldn't it be so much easier if God said, if, if you want me to love you, you need to do this. Man, I would be a beast at whatever that this was. I'd beast it out. God said, you need to go and tell 10 people about me or win 1,000 people to me. I'd be doing it. That'd be my whole mission in life. But God loved me not because I could do something great. He loved me because he simply made a decision to love me. And now I know that I can't earn it. Now, what that does is that eliminates my motivation, right? Like, if I do something for God at that point, it's simply because I love him, because I can't earn his love. So, because now I can't get any credit. Like, so since you know God loves you because he loves you, then I want you to love God because he first loved you. And that's the point of the scriptures, God's trying to win your love to himself. Is he worthy of your love? Yes, he is. So love him back. Because he is worthy of your love. 
So when you are struggling in this walk of making a decision that honors God, of doing things that honors him, of lifting up his name, of staying faithful, whatever it is, that, that is a response to God. Remember, God acts, and then we are told by him how to respond to him. God acts, and then we're told by him how to respond. Now, the problem is when you go to the, I'm going to be really quick, if you go to the, the book of Judges, you'll see the entire book of Judges is simply the consequence of the Jewish people not responding to God. They are, they've made a conscious decision to say, we're going to do it our way. And what's the main line in the book of Judges? That they did what was right in their own eyes. And that's why you see some of the most horrific incidents in the book of Judges. God loves you and has your best interest in mind. This has been a presentation of Endurance Church. For more about the ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash endurancechurch and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash endurancechurch.tv. Remember to live well and finish strong. Let's hold and you show.